Hi there, you're listening to the First Baptist Church of Oregon City podcast. I'm Pastor John Witham. This sermon, Hope, is from 1 December 2019. The scripture is Luke 4, 16 through 30. It was the first of four sermons during the season of Advent. Thank you for listening, and may the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. What is good news? We think about good news, and we like hearing good news, don't we? You know, they always do that segment at the end of the, the evening news where, you know, like a, a, a tortoise has befriended a kitten, and, and they're like, they're there together at the zoo, and people are taking pictures, and the news anchors are, are going, oh, isn't that cute? Only like 20 minutes after they've been talking about some grisly murder down the street. They give you this little piece of good news uh, so that you can feel better as you switch off the TV and go to bed. Good news is kind of like dessert at the end of a a not-so-great dinner. (laughs) You have your dinner. I've cooked a few of these where you try really hard and it just doesn't turn out the way you want to. But then at least there's dessert, right? You know, at least there's something that kind of redeems the whole thing. Good news is, is waiting a long time for a test result and hearing from the doctor and hearing that it's come back all right. Good news is uh, waiting all Thanksgiving break for your middle school social studies teacher to grade your paper and finding out that you have gotten a good grade as I watched Katie um, grade papers this weekend. Good news comes to us in all ways, but good news is used very specifically. The the Greek word evangelion is used very specifically in antiquity, what we would call the the first century uh, of our common era. It is exclusively used in the Christian sense to mean the good news of Jesus. And the good news of Jesus is that in Christ, God dwells among humanity. That's the good news. Not that we will someday be transported off to another place, but that God dwells among humanity. Because the goal, God created a good earth. He created everything and filled the earth and proclaimed it to be good. And he came as Jesus to redeem the good things that he made and to set things right again. Penny earlier read the passage from Isaiah 61, the very same passage that Jesus stood up and read. But Jesus puts a twist on it. Because if you notice, there was something in Penny's reading that wasn't in Jesus' reading. Because in the prophet Isaiah, he talks about the destruction of the enemies. But in Luke chapter 4, Jesus 
ropes in a passage from Isaiah 58 that proclaims freedom for the oppressed and the year of the Lord's favor. We can't simply look at at the gospel, good news, that God has come to dwell among humanity and be content to say that, yes, God is here, you know, okay, yes, Jesus is there, good, we're happy with that, everything continues as normal, because that wouldn't be good news. Our world is broken. Our world is fractured. We're broken people, and broken people break people. And if just God coming to earth to maintain the status quo was what the good news meant, it wouldn't really be good news. Instead, Jesus says that there is going to be freedom from oppression, that there's going to be sight for the blind, that there's going to be release for those who are in bondage, that he's going to bind up the brokenhearted. I love that phrase. There's certain phrases in different Bible translations that you just kind of latch on to. Bind up the brokenhearted and proclaim good news to the poor. And then he says to the people in Nazareth, this is fulfilled in your hearing. These words that I've just said are fulfilled. And they heard this and thought, that's good news. That's really good news. I want to pause for a second and talk about these people that Jesus is speaking of. The poor, the oppressed, the captives. Because we have these words in English and they may cause us to to think of certain people and certain things and have certain ideas of who these people are. But in Jesus' time, when they heard good news for the poor, it wasn't necessarily, it doesn't exclude the economically poor, but it's not exclusively the economically poor. It's not the people who are spiritually poor, the people who are, are broken and struggle with, uh, with mental health issues, who struggle with mental illness. It doesn't exclude them, but it's not exclusively them. A better translation, a, a better image for you to get in your mind is the people on the margins. The people who have been kind of pushed to the edges of our world. If you're like me, at some point, you know, we're ha- this is the time of the year when we have a lot of family get-togethers. And if you're like me, whether at Thanksgiving or Christmas, you've been at the kids' table, right? There's a separate table for kids. My, my grandpa with them, my dad's dad, was a big believer that kids should be seen and not heard, whereas Groucho Marx said kids should be obscene and not heard, and that was how I was a child. Uh, <laughs> 
And so, so we had a kid's table. When, when the, the larger family was together, and, and he didn't come up from many, the, the, my dad's side of the family lived in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, after um, growing up in, in the West Virginia and Ohio area. Um, and they didn't come up for many big family meals, but when they, they did, there were so many people, we had to have a kid's table. And we, we have the kids' tables because adults want to carry on with adult conversations, and, and kids have, have needs, and, and they need attention, and they desperately want your validation, and they desperately want your approval, and they have very short attention spans, which don't always work well for longer, grown-up conversations. And so we kind of push them off to the kids' table where they can do you know, whatever it is that, that kids want to do. You know, they can talk about all the fun stuff like boogers and farts and toys and everything like that. She knows. <laughs> this, is, this is a kids' table vet. We are kids' table veterans right here. <laughs> Thank you. So... But we, we, we ship the kids off over here, and, and sometimes uh, the grown-up table has maybe a dish, uh, a, a certain type of food, or maybe a certain dessert that, that the, they don't want the kids to have. And so they have that at the grown-up table, but not the kids' table, so that the grown-ups get to have more of it. And you know, the, the kids, at the kids' table, they get the smaller plates. They don't get the full-size grown-up plates. They get the smaller plates. And so they get less food on the smaller plates so that there can be more food for the grown-ups. If you're a grown-up, it doesn't sound too bad. But if you're a kid who's desperate for the attention and validation of somebody, you know, please love me you're stuck off at the kids' table, and, and you can see that there's this promised land across the living room, a, a land flowing with, with gravy and mashed potatoes that you want to be at, but instead you're, you're stuck talking about whatever. This is a good way to think about the marginalized, though, is because we push the kids off because they get in a way, the way of the way we want things to go. And likewise, there are people that our world pushes off because they get in the way of how we want things to go. And these are the people that have the good news brought to them. These are the people that Jesus proclaims freedom for. These are the people that Jesus proclaims release from captivity. And he uses a phrase, the year of the Lord's favor. And he says, all of this is good news. Now, the people in Nazareth, they initially hear this and they're excited and they, they hear that he said that these things are fulfilled and that they think this is going to happen here. 
all of this good stuff is going to happen here in Nazareth. Jesus knows, and so he stops him, and he says, look, I know you're going to say, do the things here that you did in Capernaum. But he says, I, I, I can't do that here. Because the people at Nazareth wanted it to be just for them. And sometimes we want the good news to be just for us. But we live as a church, as God's people, in the period of Advent, where Jesus has come, but Jesus has not yet come again. And where Jesus is Lord, but things are not yet fully set right. And as we look towards the arrival of Jesus' birth, as we look towards Christmas, we spend the period of Advent recognizing that we don't live in the fullness of what Jesus has proclaimed here. Because we live in the hope that Jesus is going to return and set the world right. He uses that phrase, the year of the Lord's favor, and immediately people would have known that he was talking about a concept called jubilee. That the 50th year, after seven sets of seven years, 49 years, the 50th year, Anything that had gone wrong the previous 49 years got set right. If you were in economic destitution, if you were super poor, so poor that you had to sell yourself into slavery, you got your freedom back. If you had, before you sold yourself, had to sell your family's lands that had been promised to you for generations, you got your land back. Things that had gone wrong were set right in the year of Jubilee. There's only one problem, is we don't have any concrete evidence that this actually happened. The prophets proclaimed it. They said the people should have been practicing it. And it's one of the things that they scolded God's people for in the Old Testament, the prophets did, because they weren't doing it. But Jesus proclaims the year of the Lord's favor, not just for Nazareth, not just for God's people, but for everybody. He proclaimed the Lord's favor for the kids' table. He proclaimed the Lord's favor for the marginalized, that things will be set right. And he uses two examples. And it's two examples of people on the margins. One is a widow who is outside of Israel. And there were so many widows in Israel who could have used the help of the prophet Elijah, but God sent Elijah to one outside of Israel. 
She was on the margins because she was a widow, and she was on the margins because she was poor. She was on the margins because she would have been excluded from the worship of God's people in Jerusalem because she was not an Israelite. Elisha, Elijah's predecessor, the person, the prophet who came after Elijah, Elisha was sent not to an Israelite leper, but a commander of an enemy army who had leprosy. And he would have been on the margins because, again, he wasn't an Israelite, because he was a military commander of the opposing army, and because he had leprosy. He wouldn't have even been allowed in town. Yet God drew near to him. The hope that we have of the year of the Lord's favor is that God draws near to us to set things right. Because God's justice is for everyone. It's not just for us. It's for the whole earth. Wrongs get set right when God draws near. And as people called by God's name, we participate in the setting right of wrongs now as we wait for the fullness of God to do this. We can't ignore the need around us. We can't ignore the hopelessness around us. Because if you're at the margins, if you're at the kids' table, you want to be at the main table, don't you? If you are hungry, hope for you looks like a meal. If you are hurting, hope for you looks like companionship. If you're sick, hope for you looks like medicine. It looks like a doctor's visit that you can afford. That's what hope is. But we have to acknowledge that we live in a world that's short on hope. That we live on the, in a world that forces people to the margins and that we participate in this sometimes. Sometimes the way that we live, the attitudes that we have towards people, don't bring people from the kids' table to the, the main table. They don't bring them from the margins into the full fellowship of, of God's people or even to the fellowship of humanity. Sometimes we as God's people contribute to that. And to seek hope at Advent means to recognize that, to repent, and to change our ways. Because if Jesus is going to set the world right someday, we need to set ourselves right in Jesus' name. And that may 
mean that we have to give up some things. That may mean that we have to look out for people that we don't necessarily want to look out for. That mean, may mean that we need to be patient people, with people who are very difficult to be patient with. And if we go back to the whole kids' table, grown-up table analogy, sometimes it means that we have to kind of all squeeze around the same table. But as God's people, we have to take the lead in this because we know that God is going to set things right and we know that God has enough food and enough chairs and a big enough table. And we go ahead and start doing this now. We live this way now so that people can get a glimpse, can have hope that things will be set right when Christ returns. Because if you're somebody who's living in constant daily struggle without hope, it's hard to believe that there's ever going to be a time that's different, but that's what we do as followers of Jesus. Is we show people a glimpse of what it's going to be like when Christ returns. We give them that hope. Now, some people aren't going to have this because the people in Nazareth heard it and they did not tear their clothes. They did not sit in ashes. They did not repent. Instead, they chased Jesus out of town and tried to push him off a cliff. Because they wanted it for themselves. And I know, as much as I'm ashamed to admit it, I have that instinct inside of me. I like being at the center of my own universe some days. And some days, I do not want to make room for anybody else in it. But... The good news of the gospel is that Jesus draws near to me anyway and makes room for me at the table and makes room for me and he sets my wrongs right. And so I need, I need to remember that I am not the center of my universe, that the hope of Jesus is that all of the wrongs get set right, not just mine. Now, what do we do? How do we deal with this as a church? How do we deal with this as God's people? Because this burden sometimes seems like a lot, doesn't it? This burden of, of how do we sort out the hopelessness of the world? How do we sort out all of the different wrongs, how do we bring people from margins into the light of Jesus? How do we proclaim good news to them? How do we free them? How do we relieve their oppression? And I think there's two things we do, and I already mentioned one of them, is we examine our own lives and look at who we might be pushing to the side in our own lives. 
And we may not initially see it, but we can have attitudes towards people. We can have thoughts towards people. We can have fundamental beliefs of how certain people are that cause us to dismiss them rather than to see them through the eyes of Jesus. And so in our own lives, we have to make sure we are not contributing to the hopelessness of other people. And then we do what Jesus leads us to do to proclaim wholeness in people's lives. And our church has a little advantage here because we have a hidden secret downstairs. It's not a dragon. It's hope. Helping other people eat. It is a ministry where people come in to a church and they come in hungry and they leave with food. And they don't leave with the cast off food like artichoke hearts and cream sauce. They don't leave with 40 pounds of lima beans. Oh, you can eat lima beans, they're good for you. Do you want to eat lima beans? I don't, I draw the line like right after Brussels sprouts. That's about, that's about as far as I go. Hope is set up as a grocery store so that you can pick things that are nourishing and nutritious, but things that you like to eat. And people work very, very hard to make sure that there's food for people there. And if you volunteer at Hope, it looks like go meeting somebody, walking around with them, helping them pick out food, helping them fill a cart so that they can take those things back home with them and so that they can eat and their families can eat. The first Friday of the month is our church's time to help at Hope. And there's other people there as well, but the, the, the most of the responsibility sits on our church the first Friday of the month, which happens to be this coming Friday. And I know not everybody's physically able to do what I just described. So how about this? Friday, spend 10 minutes in prayer for hope. For the volunteers, for the people who will be coming and searching for hope food and actual hope. And if you can be here, come on down. You don't have to stay the whole time, one to four. You can stay part of the time. You can come at the beginning. You can come at the end. But come down and see. See what God is doing. See what it looks like to proclaim good news to people who are a little bit short on it. To proclaim freedom from those, to those who feel oppressed. Because it looks like a warm meal, it looks like a smile, and it looks like Jesus 
drawing near to us in our world. Amen.